Hey guys, my name's Ben. I'll be reading the Bible for you guys today. Uh, you can find the passage in your handouts uh, on page, on like, well, it's a bit messed up, I think, so you'll find it somewhere. It's Proverbs 9, 1 to 18. Uh, it's a bit missing in the middle, uh, which I'll read through, so you can just listen during that uh, part. Cool, so Proverbs uh, 1, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 to 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and uh, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes a wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are here, are there that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Thanks, Ben. Well, I'm at a party. Music is pumping, people are around, conversation's happening. It's great, it's good fun, and then suddenly it happens. Our eyes meet across the room. Her eyes linger on me. A little bit longer, she moves towards me, and she's gorgeous. Sparkling eyes, curves in all the right places, Barely concealed by her clothes, gracious mover. We start to chat. We hit it off right away. I can't believe it, but she thinks I'm cute. Later she asks for a lift home. We get there, she invites me in. She says, wait there while I slip into something more comfortable. I get the feeling the night has just begun. So goes the fantasy of every young man, I suspect. And the book of Proverbs in the Bible describes an experience like that in chapter 7. If you've got a Bible there, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. It's going to come up on the screen as well. You can follow it there. It's told from the perspective of an observer, somebody watching the action develop. It begins in verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw a simple, saw the simple. I noticed a young man, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the the dark set in. He's loitering with intent during darkness. And then comes the invitation. A woman comes out to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She's loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. She's always wandering around looking for blokes. She's now in the street, in the squares. At every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face she said... I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I've found you. 
She makes the approach. She thinks that he's cute, at least that's what she says. Come in. I've got some yummy food at home. And the conversation then turns to bed and sex. I've covered my bed with coloured linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. We'll be safe. Everything will be fun and terrific. No one's going to disturb us. She's making all the running. What's he going to do? With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with a smooth talk. And then all at once, he followed her. See, he's been wavering up to here, keeping his options open. But now he takes the plunge. And the observer makes the judgment. He's like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer step, stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it'll cost him his life. Stupid mistake. Dumb move, <coughs> is, what, is what the person in Proverbs is saying. And then comes the lesson in wisdom. Now then, my sons, listen to me. He's gathering his sons around him, telling the story. Pay attention to what I've told you. Don't let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave. Just go through the back door and all the gravestones are there, leading down to the chambers of death. Your secret fantasies are dangerous. They're foolish. Don't be led by your libido. It'll just suck the life out of you. Now, why is this chapter here? Is it that the Bible is just sort of obsessed with sex? No, actually, this book is about wisdom. Last week, if you were here, we, introduced, we were introduced to wisdom as it comes to us in this book of Proverbs. Wisdom is insight and understanding. Uh, understanding that God governs this world with some sort of order. It's not a chaotic world, but God orders our world in all sorts of, of directions and ways. Wisdom is discerning that order. It's learning from experience and living with the grain of that order. So you just learnt today that if Ben interviews you, don't trust his questions. You learn from experience. Hannah will never forget that lesson. And the structure of Proverbs has two main parts to it. The first nine chapters, which is what we're looking at in parts today, is where it's like a father takes his son aside and says, I, I, I want to teach you some wisdom. But before I teach you all the wisdom, the wisdom comes in the proverbial sayings that are in chapters 10 to 31, of the, the Proverbs of Solomon, the sayings of the wise, more from Solomon. A few uh, wisdom proverbs from Agar and Lemuel and then the wise and noble women. That's actually the content of wisdom. But in chapters 1 to 9, before we get to the content... The father sits his son down and says, listen, mate, unless you decide to be wise, the rest of this is a waste of time. So it's about as useless as giving, giving me a book on dressmaking. That's just a waste of time and money. I'm never going to read it. If you haven't already chosen wisdom, then giving you wisdom, feeding you wisdom, will be a waste of time. Won't be worth the effort. So chapters nine, 1 to 9 are persuading the listeners, persuading us to love wisdom to choose wisdom, persuade us to crave wisdom. Now, most of it is couched in these terms of a father talking to his son, of a, a father 
uh, gathering his son, who's about to set out on life. He's a young man. He's, he's come to adulthood. He's now about to chart his own course in life. And he wants to sit him down and say, let me tell you about life. Let me instruct you about life. And my guess is that's most of you, isn't it? I've passed that time. If I haven't learned wisdom yet, it's too late. But for you, it's not too late. And the father sits him down and has this heart-to-heart conversation with him. He knows from experience the temptations and traps for young players growing up, for young men who are naive and reckless. And so he sits his son down and has one of those awkward, serious conversations about life. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. And in chapter 8, we get a great sort of potted uh, uh, picture of what this conversation is going to be like. Uh, He imagines that his son thinks, yeah, you're too old, Dad. You you probably, you're a fool. I know better than you. I'm young. I'm with it. I'm hip. You're just an old man. You know nothing. You don't know how to have fun. And the dad is saying, listen, son, I've been around the block a few times, you know. I I know a thing or two about life. I know about women. I know about young men. Now, can I just say to the women at this point, please don't be offended that you're sort of left out. This is father to son. Uh, And, in fact, please don't be offended that the women in this section are mainly pictured as the seductress. You see, the blokes need this more than you do. Yeah, they do. They really do. And you're clever enough to do the translation, aren't you? Just as there are the seductresses around, there are the Casanovas around who will lead you into the same sort of foolishness. And the father pitches wisdom like a, a woman calling out. A woman because just the word wisdom in Hebrew, this is the language this was written in, is a feminine word. And so he personifies wisdom as this woman who's calling out... Uh, Um, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights along the way where everyone can hear her? Where the paths meet, where people travel and she's going to meet lots of people, she takes her stand. She puts her soapbox there beside the gates leading into the city where everyone has got to go past. At the entrance she cries out, To you, O men, I call. I raise my voice to all humanity. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. She says, choose me, pick me. You know, like those times when they're choosing the teams for sport or debating or whatever it is at school and you're sitting there frightened that no one will choose you. And you want to say, come on, please, please, notice me, choose me. Well, that's what wisdom is doing. Saying to all of us, choose me. But she's at a great disadvantage. She's appealing to young, reckless men. And she's offering prudence and understanding. I mean, what young man would be interested in that? That's boring, isn't it? Uh, uh, That won't give me a good time. If the clientele was the wise, you know, old blokes like me, she might get a hearing, but not with the young bloke. They won't appreciate her strengths and charms. But the foolish, they've got no time for her. Her fuddy-duddy ways, her killjoy attitudes, they've got no time for wisdom. So it's hard work. And so she goes on, listen, I've got worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what's right. My mouth speaks what's true. My lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They're faultless to those who have knowledge. Yeah, they might be boring and predictable and, and puritanical. 
But wisdom says, I've got something worthwhile to say to you, something worthwhile to offer you. I'm not deceiving you. I'm not stealing your enjoyment. I know you find that hard to believe. Your mates are saying, come on, let's go and have some fun. Don't listen to wisdom. She'll just spoil it all. But I'm being straight with you. You can trust me. So she's competing for our trust, our allegiance, our love. And it seems she has a rival in mind, an arch enemy. And as we read through Proverbs, we find that that arch enemy is a woman called Folly, the opposite of wisdom. She goes on in verses 10 and 11, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious even than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She's better than anything. All those things you desire, gold and silver, the excitement and fun you dream about, the salary and status and attention that you crave, well, I'm offering you something better, more precious, more attractive. They're fighting words, aren't they? Competing for your attention, muscling in on your life. You've already got things sort of worked out, haven't you? They're moving, you're getting your act together. And she's trying to muscle in from the side saying, no, no, don't go that way. We don't want to give it the time of day, but she'll grab our attention. She's insistent. Listen to me. Choose me. And then she goes on to talk about her companions. Her companions of prudence and knowledge, discretion, counsel and wise judgment, understanding even of power, of influence. That she hates pride and arrogance. She knows she's not as exciting as sex. But can't you see the value of these things, she's saying. And she goes on. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. I'll give you the other things that you crave. If you just crave them, you won't get them. But if you love me, I'll deliver these as well. I'll look after you in every way that you can imagine. I might not be as racy as folly, but much more dependable, much more solid. I'll deliver real life. Wisdom confronts us then with a choice, her or folly, as your partner in life, as the thing that you love, as the direction that you take, the thing that shapes your life. Will it be wisdom or will it be folly? And I think one of the reasons that adultery is uh, emphasised in this section as one of the main topics of chapters 1 to 9 is not this fascination with sex, but adultery is so much like folly. It's the embodiment of folly in so many ways. It's easy sex. Seductive, attractive. It seems so exciting, but it's so blatantly stupid. Even our, people who make our, our TV shows and our movies, they don't share the sort of conservative ethics that, that I have. And yet, almost every movie or every TV show that portrays uh, adultery ends up showing how foolish it is. It always unravels. It always destroys the lives of, of the people involved, the children, the, the spouses. It, it, it's always a disaster. Even they know it. And some of us know it in real life. We've seen it happen. Our political leaders, our sporting heroes, our next-door neighbours, maybe even our own families. Adultery is just dumb. It's like folly itself. It seems so attractive. You look at it and say, I can't resist it. It's going to be terrific. 
And it always smashes everything. It's just done. And so adultery in that sense, it it epitomises the seductive attraction of folly. And it exemplifies the destructive consequences of being seduced by folly. And so Proverbs confronts us with this choice that we can't avoid. And chapter 9, the finale of this opening section, the choice is put in front of us in this sort of climactic way. Wisdom versus folly. Wisdom in verses 1 to 6. Folly in verses 13 to 18. Both out there offering their hospitality. Both of them have built their houses. Both of them have prepared some food and they're calling people to come and choose them. Wisdom has built her house, verse 1. She's hewn out its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's set her table. And now she's sent out her maid. She calls from the highest point of the city, the point from which everyone can hear. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment. And folly is the same. She's out there at the highest point, verse 14, calling out to those who pass by. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment. They're appealing to the same group of people. They're appealing to you and to me. And notice they're appealing even to foolish. That is, if you know you're foolish, this isn't too late. They're offering their food and drink. Wisdom has carefully prepared a meal, a labour of love, a healthy diet. Folly, she's got stolen food. It's alluring because it's risky, it's edgy, it's delicious. Because it's been banned. It's attractive, but it's junk food. And the clincher is in the consequences. Verse 6. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. But verse 18. Little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. There's the consequences. You see folly by where it ends up. Wisdom takes a long view of things. Sure, folly avoids the hard yards now. It avoids the pain now. But it won't invest in the future. It just wants instant gratification and hang the consequences. And wisdom says, see folly for what it really is. Don't choose her. That would be stupid. Choose me. Don't be fooled by folly. Because you know what she's really like. And in the middle section, which isn't on your outline, but Ben read to us, uh, the, the writer tells us, how you can work out whether somebody has chosen wisdom or folly. Verse 7, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Don't rebuke another mocker or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. See, how do you know whether you've chosen wisdom? Well, one of the key tests is how you respond to rebuke and correction. It's really whether you're teachable. If somebody comes and rebukes you and you just kick them down, you're a fool, aren't you? You don't realise that they're correcting you because they care about you. They've got some wisdom to share. You're just getting rid of it. You couldn't be bothered. Who's going to criticise me? How dare they? The wise person, the person who's chosen wisdom, who's chosen wisdom, sorry, will welcome a rebuke. When it comes, they'll say, thank you. Even if you're wrong, I'm glad you did it. I'm open. I want to learn. I want to become wise. Last week... After uh, the talk, I was chatting to a group of the African students among us. It's great to have them here, part of our our fellowship. 
Um, and uh, which, they were just sort of talking about some of the proverbs in African wisdom and how they're communicated. And they all said, it's our mums who sit down and have this sort of conversation with us. It's our mums who are always quoting this proverbial wisdom uh, at us and to us. They're, try- they're trying to persuade us not to be so foolish, to be thoughtful and wise and sensible. Uh, and, and so it's the mums who sit down and have that sort of mother-to-daughter, mother-to-son conversations, like Proverbs. <laughs> I said to them, how do you react when your mums do that? And they all said, I hate it. <laughs> I don't want to listen. It's just my mum, she's on my back, she's always on my back. I, 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 don't know. I, I know they're right, but I don't want to listen. That's foolishness, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> don't mean to offend you. <laughs> but aren't we all like that? We don't want to listen. And our mums are infuriated. Our dads are infuriated. They're saying, come on, grow up. Don't be so foolish. So can you see why Proverbs spends nine chapters persuading us to choose wisdom, to listen to God's wisdom? In the next three weeks, we're actually going to explore some of that wisdom itself. Look at those proverbial sayings and try to understand them. Next week, we'll do a sampling See what they're like, what they're about, how to understand them. The week after, we'll look at the way that uh, it gives us wisdom about friendships, something all of us are interested in. But unless you've already chosen wisdom, that'll be a waste of time. See, it's like looking at your assignment options. You know, write an essay on this or do one of these problems. It's like looking at those assignment options before you've decided to study. It's just a waste of time, isn't it? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'll look at them and if one takes my eye, you know, maybe I'll do it. No, you won't. <laughs> if you haven't already decided you're going to do the assignment, you want to learn, you're going to do some study, it's not worth even looking at, at, at the list, is it? And so it's not worth looking at wisdom unless you've chosen wisdom. And, and I think you can think about that choice in two ways. It's a choice for your whole life. That is, you can choose to try and be a person of wisdom or of folly. Reckless, thoughtless and heartless or thoughtful and sensible, like your mum wants you to be. Perceptive about the world and how it works out and where things end up in the long run. There's a choice about your whole life, but there's also a choice almost in each and every situation we come across. There's, There's a fork in the road. Will I choose to be wise or will I choose to be foolish from the trivial decisions we make to the huge decisions we make folly or wisdom and folly will be saying to us things like come on it's not wrong no one will know you know you want to do it it's only for an hour or so everyone else is doing it just go and do it and wisdom will be saying is this really the worthwhile the productive thing to do we face that choice even as you walk out of this room you face that choice about what you'll do for the next few hours. Wisdom or folly? And wisdom is calling you. She's competing for your loyalty, for your heart. What will you choose? You can't avoid the choice. You've got to choose one or the other. What are you choosing? But I want to go one more step in our last few minutes. Because that's the framework of Jesus. This passage in Matthew chapter 7, might be familiar to you, comes at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has taught his disciples what it means to be a disciple. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. Be genuine righteousness. Not hypocritical, not half-hearted, but genuine. Not judging, but trusting in God's goodness and generosity. And at the end of it, he says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It's a memorable picture, isn't it? If you've heard it before, I presume you can imagine the two things. There's two houses near each other. It pictures us as builders. We're all sort of building a house. You're building your life, your education, the friends you're making, the skills and capacities that, that you're, uh, you're training up, the possessions that you have, the character that you're building. It's all building your life. And Jesus says you're either building wisely, like a house on solid rock, or building foolishly, like a house built on shifting soft sand. Now, from the outside, those two houses probably look pretty similar. People doing the same courses, wearing similar sorts of clothes. But when the storm comes, as it inevitably will, the difference is exposed. Foolishness and wisdom are shown as being poles apart. Absolute different opposites, different outcomes. See what Jesus is saying? The essence of wisdom isn't being wise in your own eyes. It's not simply choosing, well, I'd like to be a wise person. I, I wonder how clever I can get. Wisdom, the essence of wisdom, is building your life on Jesus and his teaching. Trusting him and his way of life. Not your mum, not yourself. And Jesus is saying there's only two ways to live. And one of those ends in life and the other one ends in death. So the choice between folly and wisdom is actually the choice between Jesus and anything else. To choose wisdom must mean in the end choosing Jesus. To choose Jesus means in the end choosing wisdom. But it's actually, I think, very hard, very difficult. In fact, it feels almost foolish to build your life on another person and their teaching, on anybody else's teaching. It feels risky and instinctively I think we want to fall back and say, no, surely I can trust myself more than someone like Jesus. I'm the only one who really looks after my interests. I want to say, really, you think you're clever enough to trust yourself with all your decisions in life and where you're going and determining your final destiny? I don't think so. Pardon my insult, but I say that knowing what I'm like. I wouldn't trust me. Now, Jesus is saying the only sensible thing, if Jesus really is the one he claimed to be, God the Son, he knows what life is about, doesn't he? He's been around the block a few times and a few times more. He knows it from the inside, much more than your dad or mum or your professor. The Son of God who died for you, who gave his life to give you life, you can trust him completely. If you haven't yet chosen to build your life on Jesus, I want to suggest it's time to change, isn't it? Time to trust Jesus, to choose wisdom over folly, to choose Jesus over yourself or anything else. I think it would be foolish not to. Yes, you're free to choose foolishness, but you live with the consequences. Please, 
Choose wisdom. Choose Jesus. Because that's the only way to choose wisdom, ultimately. I want to pray. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for laying out these two different lives. A life of wisdom and a life of foolishness. Thank you for speaking to us, urging us, begging us, encouraging us to choose wisdom, to choose your son. And Father, we pray for the wisdom to choose wisdom. Please make us wise enough to reject folly and choose him. To do it with our lives and to do it day by day. Pray this in in the name of your son. Amen.